Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 96 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. Today on the show we're going to be talking about things that lose their head and I'm not just talking about Bella. We're Mm. going to be talking aliens, we're going to have Ruth and Richard along with their reports as well. So stay tuned you guys for an awesome show once again. Yeah because we're awesome. People know that. That's why they keep coming back. (laughs) There's probably a whole lot more that go, we're not listening to them fuckers anymore. (laughs) (laughs) There are more and more people coming out now. Coming out? Coming out. Yeah, they're flaming. They're flaming coming out, man. Uh No, there's lots of people that are coming out now and actually admitting to the whole conspiracy theory that the allied governments, if you like, are all working in cahoots with aliens. Right. And there was talk that President Trump, before he was to leave office, was actually going to make a big announcement about the work that the US has done with aliens or alien races, etc. Well, he did sign a thing last few days of his presidency, which probably went under the radar with everything else, that said within a certain amount of time, the government has to release a whole bunch of... Yeah. The UFO trouble is is that now there's obviously someone else sitting in the chair. They could do some kind of presidential order, I guess. Executive to, order. Executive order, yeah, to actually block that, probably. So I always said right at the start that if any president was going to let the cat out of the bag with aliens, I honestly thought it was going to be Trump. Yeah, because you know why? Because he's a freaking alien. That's why. He's not normal. He's orange. He's not from here. Okay, I'm not allowed to comment on that because i've been told before i'm not an american and therefore i'm not allowed to have an opinion speaking of um presidents did you see the video yesterday of poor biden falling as he was getting into air force one yeah yeah he like tripped and then seemed to recover it and then tripped again and then seemed to get it and then tripped again. It was you tend really... to find that, though, don't you? As an adult, or certainly as you start to get older, I find this of myself. When you're a kid, if you fall down, it's like, bam, gone, down. As an adult, you try and stop yourself. And I think it's the trying to stop yourself yeah. does two things. Number one, it hurts more when you actually land because you've got more momentum now that you've mm-hmm. gained rather than just falling in the first place. And the second thing is it looks so much more fucking funny. Well, this didn't look funny, but I I got to say, the man was as composed as he could be because this was about halfway up the stairs, but still he got to the top and he turned around and he gave a salute Good before cool. he got on the plane, actually went into the plane. But I felt so sorry for him when I saw it because I can so relate. Well, yeah, I mean, you spent more time <laughs> falling than, than yeah. actually upright. 
Gravity is not your friend. No, anyway, okay, so what were you saying? So, no, what I was saying is that there's a lot more people now that are coming out and actually saying, okay, there are some agreements in place, if you like, with these allied governments and alien races. And the most recent one actually came out in December last year, or the most recent one that I know of anyway, and this was a former Israeli space security chief. So this guy's name is Haim Eshed, which is H-A-I-M, and then surname E-S-H-E-D. Now, I'm probably butchering this absolutely terribly. He served as head of Israel's space program for nearly 30 years and is a three-time recipient of Israel's Security Award. And he explained that Israel and the U.S., have both been dealing with aliens for years. wonder why he was specifically mentioned in the U.S. and not other countries. I don't know, but I tend to find that most of the cases that we hear about tend to come from the U.S. Now, obviously, it's a it's a big landmass, isn't it, with, with a high population. So I guess if you were to look at it statistically, it's probably got a higher rate of, of instances anyway because there's more people there to see it. But this guy is 87 years old. He's a former head of the Defence Ministry Space Division. He has got awards and everything coming out of his ears. He's well-respected in his area. Why would this man of 87 years, and with all of this respect that he's gained over his tenure, be now coming out with this crazy story if it was not true? Well, he's not the only one who's uh, come out and said stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's my point. There's more people coming out. But, yeah, but, they, but it seems that there's more and more credible people coming out. Well, are there more and more credible people coming out, or is just the flow of information that much easier to get? Because normally, right, before the internet and before phones that are actually attached to people's bodies these days, it was much harder to do that sort of thing, wasn't it? Because you'd either have to write something in your newspaper, which would be a local thing, really, right? Or you'd have to write an actual letter to somebody else to try to get somebody involved. But now it's it's a lot easier for people to just do a search for stuff or do like we do and put a podcast out. We, You know, there's no rules to podcasting. You can do whatever you want, really. You know, so so what you're saying is high cl- high profile people have always come out and said it. It's just we're hearing about it more. Is that your point? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. I mean, when they were talking about the what was it Roswell, and there was that guy who was saying, oh, you know, that big thing. It was a, it was a weather balloon. Well, people read it in the paper or get told it's a weather balloon, and then what? Like, even if they don't believe it, there really wasn't anywhere to necessarily go. Yeah, but now. If if somebody tries to do something like that, you'd be like, no, because look, I got these pictures on my phone, and I, you know, I mean, there's a. Well, there's a lot to be said for that because at the same time as having all of this information available to you, there's a lot more that's hoaxed, and there's a lot more hoaxed information that's available to you. The amount of times I scroll through Instagram, and I'm seeing these clearly CGI'd images, mm. which are always posted by the same people of these different things. So while I agree with you, I think the the waters are also muddied by how many people have got access to to put things up. His coming out and saying this was supposed to coincide with President Donald Trump's policy to release all of this information, and that's why he felt 
able to come out and say it. The other thing with him is, what are they going to do to him? You know, he's 80, would you say, 86, 87. You know, he's got nothing really, you know, his career is what it was. Yeah, but he's still, that means you still don't want, after after an exemplary career, supposedly, you don't want to then ruin all of that by having your name... No, I get that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so, I get that. I, I, I don't know. I, I, find it, I find it quite interesting. He talks about there is a galactic federation, and apparently Trump was going to release this information, but apparently this galactic federation, it doesn't say who they are, reportedly stopped him from doing so because they said it would cause mass hysteria if he was to do it. And really, when you think about it, if anything, this COVID has taught us that that could be actually what would happen. I think that people would go crazy. Look at when the COVID pandemic really started out and there were people panic buying and being really ridiculous. There were people looting people. I've heard horrible cases of people that have, in this country, gone and knocked on people's doors and beaten them senseless to take their food out of their fridge. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, that, that people do that anyway. With stuff, but look, I mean, the thing is, right? You know, if they did release all this, yeah, I think people would go crazy a little bit. Again, what would they do? They probably have an increase in aluminum foil buying because people would want to make the little hats for their heads. You know, <laughs> I think it would probably be worthwhile because I think that it would it would open up things a lot more for people, especially like people that say that they've been abducted or. It has the potential to bring the world together and actually make people realize that we are one we are one people set aside race and gender and everything else. We are one people on this earth, and maybe the idea of having another uh, you know another species that could potentially come to our our planet with another more insidious agenda. Maybe it would bring people together. But you know what? There's some crazy shit going on in the world, you know, and everybody seems to be, not everybody, but there seems to be so much more hatred now. I can't get over it. You know, you've you've got to say the right things politically. You've got to do the right things politically. You've got to be seen to support this this agenda or that agenda or or this group of people or that group of people or whatever and it's just the whole idea of of being one and togetherness seems furthest apart than than ever do you know i read a tweet yesterday i'm on my soapbox now i read a tweet yesterday which was a lady posting saying that she was offended because a man held the door open for her and she said that don't you think that i can't open the door on my own and he was showing his ability to decide whether or not she entered the building or not. It was his decision. And the blowback from this tweet from mostly women saying, what the hell are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would you say something so ridiculous? And and then there was other blokes who felt the need to defend themselves saying, well, no, I was actually just brought up to hold the door open for the person behind me. A lot of the time, I know there's someone behind me because you can feel there's someone behind you. You can see a shadow or whatever. And you hold the door open. And really, until you look around, you don't know whether it's a man or a woman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I hold the door open for anyone. Mm. It's it's not. I'm not in any way trying to impose my male dominance over over a, a woman or, or another person another man or whatever i'm just holding the door open for someone just being kind um hopefully they'll do it for me 
Hopefully. It's, Not me. I'm it's just... crazy. <laughs> it's a crazy world. So who knows how people will react if suddenly they were told that we were in cahoots with an alien race. I don't know, but there's layers of little things that happen. Did you hear in the uh, news the other day that they've found three unknown, unidentified bacteria on the um, space station? They don't know what it is or where it came from? No. To me, that's scary shit because, I mean, I know when they come back to Earth, the astronauts or whatever, they they have to go into quarantine. But if you don't know what's going on with that bacteria or you don't know what it is, what if doesn't kill it? I mean, would you consider that to be alien? What if that bacteria is resistant to our quarantine measures? For me, that's the sort of stuff I'd be thinking about. Like, well, if there is aliens and they come here, even if they come here in peace and we go across the street there and there's an alien and he went like that. Well, we can't uh, say and like that and there's people listening, not watching. Well, fine. If he he touched me on my shoulder, I would be thinking not necessarily about the fact that he touched me on the shoulder, which would be cool anyway, you know, like, because Paul is really cool, isn't he? So I'd be all right with him touching me on the shoulder but i mean you just don't know like what could happen because that's a whole butterfly effect right what if he touched me and he stuck some weird alien skin cells on me and it turned into something that could really hurt us you know like how they always do on tv and in commercials like they have that acidy blood or something okay i don't know about acidy blood but okay well whatever just i mean that's what it was on, uh, on alien right yeah, yeah. It, the, it would eat through metal the, oh right okay yeah yeah, yeah. We, we just don't know like uh, that's the kind of stuff that scares me not so much that that they've been here because they're not bothering me i don't care they can it's true and i i hadn't thought about that actually if they are visiting the earth and they are in cahoots with the governments okay what are they bringing in with them yes i, I get that i i hadn't thought of that here's the one for the conspiracy kind of theorists what if all this covid stuff didn't happen in a lab. Well, there's meteorites and stuff landing all the time, aren't there? So, so theoretically, there could be. I mean, that that's one of the theories of of man, isn't it? Of of human life is the fact that the DNA came in on an asteroid. Two days. Well, not two days. There have been over the last, I think, a week and a half. There's been two instances of meteors coming. And hitting Earth. One of them happened here, actually, not that yeah, far from just us. just down Cheltenham, yeah. And the other one happened in the States, in Vermont. It was bad enough that, you know, it, it shook people's windows and all that sort of stuff. Well, the came. night that that one came through here and hit Cheltenham, we heard the sonic boom because I said to you in the, in the night, shit, what was that? Our windows shook and everything. And as it went past us, we got the sonic boom. And that's another thing. Did they find it? Yeah, yeah, it's been found. Yeah. Like all of it? We don't know, do we? If the aliens come, are they going to make a sonic boom? I don't know the answer to that. Probably they would slow down, I would have thought. I don't know. When you look at some of the videos of UFOs that are flying and then just suddenly increase speed, I don't often hear a sonic boom, but sonic booms are created because of the disturbance of air and maybe they don't move in the same way. Well, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I don't they, know. they wouldn't, would they? Because they are able to move in ways that... You would have thought that if they moved through air the way we do, then their ships would be incredibly hot, 
you know. That's what I mean. So I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, this chap, this Israeli chap that we're talking about, he's brought out a book, and I'm going to see if we can get him on the on the show. That would be interesting. It would be interesting. His book is called The Universe Beyond the Horizon. It sounds really interesting. So we'll see if we can get him on the show. I don't know whether we will be able to. He's quite a high-profile guy. He may not have heard of us, but then again, he may be a fan. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So while we're talking about aliens, there's stuff obviously on the Earth that really is alien. It's certainly not anything that we've ever even considered before. There's these sea slugs which have been discovered that actually sever their own heads. They take their head, they decapitate themselves. I don't know how they do it, but they decapitate themselves and you're just left with this little sea slug head with these two little antennae and then over a series of weeks... It grows a body back. Now, okay, you can say, you mentioned to me before about some lizards or something. Mm, yeah, lizards can lose their tails. and They detach them, though, don't they? They detach well, their tails it, so that... Well, I don't know if they consciously detach it, but no, if a predator is after, say, an iguana, and he gets the tail of the iguana, the tail will come off, and the lizard will keep going. And then it'll grow its tail back. They're able to regenerate their tail. Starfish are able to regenerate as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. This goes a little bit beyond that because this is detaching the head from the lungs and the heart and everything else. And it actually grows back the entire body with the new heart, with the digestive system and everything. And and over a period of weeks can survive just as this head that still apparently eats algae to stay alive. But how it's staying alive without a digestive system to break that algae down, I don't know. There must be some other other enzymes in the mouth or whatever that break down the food or whatever. And And what's really weird about that is if they eat it and they swallow it, where are they shitting? Where's it going? <laughs> Where are they shitting? They they haven't even got a bunghole. <laughs> you know? It's it's just really weird to think that these things can grow themselves back. It's regeneration. It's regeneration. It? Apparently they believe it's down to these stem cells that this sea snail has, which is great. But if we could harness the power of those stem cells, imagine if, you know, someone loses an arm in an accident or whatever, and, and we can then create this, this new arm that they could regenerate themselves through these stem cells that are able to regenerate. That's like on Deadpool when um, he was growing his legs back and he had little baby legs, remember? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Let's not only think of, of, you know, arms and legs and limbs. The sea snail grows back its heart and everything else. What if you've got a, a dicky heart? And you, they take your heart, they put you on an artificial heart machine. Or a hardy dicky. They... <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to be long before you turned this episode into pure smut. <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, imagine if, if, you've got a, if you've got a dodgy heart and then put you on an artificial heart machine or whatever and then grow back your heart for you using these stem cells and then re-implant it in you. There's no rejection. Well, it's your it's your body. The thing is, although we don't, as humans, kind of sprout new limbs and that, we do regenerate, don't we? I mean, your liver. Skin cells. You know, skin cells, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. We, we just don't do it to the extreme of a 
slug, which is pretty sad when you think about it, that, that we are like way advanced compared to a slug or a snail. What was it? A snail or a slug? A sea snail. A sea snail. But we, we do to a degree. I mean, I wouldn't want to be the one to volunteer. Uh, sorry, it was a sea slug. Sorry. Sea slug. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be the one to volunteer if they kind of came up with that experimental thing and they were like, hey, I'll give you X amount of money. If you let us chop your head off so we can see if this is going to work or not. Oh, I think you should go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, artificial stuff. Have you heard about the guy who has actually married a sex doll? No, but I I don't know. I just don't even know what to say to that. I was going to say when when it pisses you off, you can just shove it in the closet, but... I mean... How's it going to piss you off? Well, I don't know. I'm well, not a flipping doll, am I? How's it going to piss you off? You know, Maybe it's, it's just not going to be in the mood. I don't know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe you're not understanding what sex doll is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is from Kazakhstan. His name is Yuri Tolochko. He's a bodybuilder. You know, he's a fit, good-looking guy. Yep, he's gone and married himself a doll called Margot, and apparently he fell in love with her when he spotted her at a nightclub. Okay, too many questions there. What the fuck was this sex doll doing in a nightclub? What's his name, Yuri? Yuri. I don't think he's got many friends. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> apparently, this, this article goes on about how upset he was because he actually had to send her away to get fixed just before Christmas. Oh, um, he sent her on vacation for the holidays. Apparently, his doll does not regenerate. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck. Well, actually, yeah, probably that's exactly what he was doing. It kind of makes to you... To break it. I was going to say, it kind of makes you wonder what he needed to have fixed. I know. It's a bit disgusting, really, isn't it? I mean... Ew. (laughs) You know, as far as dolls go, she's a good-looking doll, don't get me wrong. But come on. I mean, he must be really weird because he looks kind of normal, doesn't he? He, Yeah, kind of. You know. You just don't see the inside, do you? Even though his muscles probably have muscles, but... But he doesn't look like the kid who got picked on in the playground for ages. Anyway, I think that's silly. I wouldn't I wouldn't marry a doll because it could never do anything for me. I'm not even talking about the whole like sex bit of it cuz I don't really care about that. But it couldn't get me Yeah, right. <laughs> it couldn't get me a drink in the middle of the night. It it can't work for me. Well, never mind. It probably could work for me if I Never mind. Let's just keep going how could it work for you now i'm intrigued how are you gonna get this doll working for you well i mean you could put it on the street corner and oh you're <laughs> sick <laughs> oh, you empty it out after a shift <laughs> i'm just saying oh. <laughs> that's why i said to move on yeah i wish i you asked i know yeah, let's let's move on to the next thing we've got. What else is there? Well, no, the next thing is actually quite interesting. This isn't really anything paranormal or or unexplained, but it's it's something that I think actually is is a really good thing. There was this tweet that went viral a little while ago. In fact, I think it was on TikTok or it was on some streaming service or or some social media platform. But there was this story that went viral about an ex-Apple store worker that came out and said that Apple apparently have a policy which is called surprise and delight. And apparently, if you go into the Apple store and you're a dick to the staff, to the concierge or to the genius guys or whatever, they will still repair your stuff, obviously, because they have to. It's part of the warranty service. But you'll get charged more for it. 
The opposite of that, if you go in and you're really nice and you're polite, they actually have this policy where they can give you stuff for free Mm. or repair stuff at a cheaper price. And there's other Apple store workers and previous Apple store workers that have come out and said, yep, this is absolutely true. This is a thing. This is what we do. But how cool of an idea is that? It is directly teaching people that if you go in and and, are nice to staff, you're going to get something more out of it. I've worked in places in the past whereby if you've got a customer a regular customer that you know is a dick no one goes to rush to help that person that person's going to be waiting longer because nobody wants to deal with them they know they're going to be a dick that's how it is well that's how it was when i was working back home in a restaurant if somebody is really polite and nice to you and treats you like a human and tips well and all the rest of it you you you, they do get better service and i mean to the point where you're almost sort of begging not begging because that's not right but trying to get that person to sit in your section so that you because you know they tip well or maybe they don't even tip well maybe they're just nice and yeah maybe they're just polite and mm, you have a good conversation with them or whatever so you offer them a refill whereas you might not necessarily do that to somebody else i think it's a really good thing that this has come out for apple because i think that the instances of abuse that they receive might diminish now Um, I doubt it. Well, no, it might. You never know. People may start to think, now I'm going to go in there with a little bit of a nicer demeanor. But also, I think it's really all Apple are doing are being honest via this policy as to how most places treat people anyway. No one rushes to help the shitty customer. Well, I don't think... It was Apple that put it out there. It was somebody that worked for Apple. It but was a I former employee of Apple. The, the yeah. best thing about it is that, at least from what I was getting off of it earlier when you were talking about it, is that the person, the Apple genius or whatever, they're the ones that have the discretion to be able to do it. Yeah, it's not down to store management. They were saying that each member of staff actually has their own quota Right. Of how many they can give. I think that's more the big point from Apple is that, you know, they allow someone who just works in a store to have that little bit of, not power, but that little bit of sort of... Discretion. Yeah. To, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, I agree. Totally. They, they don't go, oh, yeah, you know, if you're nice, we'll give you this or that. You know, they they, are, they keep this on the down low, which I think is more cool. Or else it'd be like, hey, come into our store, bring your phone. You get a one in ten chance of it getting replaced for free. You, you know what I mean? It, it just seems tacky that way, whereas... They're just rewarding good behavior. I mean, that's what we've done with our kids and everything else for years. You know, people that work in the service industry shouldn't have to take shit from people all the time. Admittedly, yeah, sometimes you get bad service and you need to complain about something. That's fair enough. Everyone's entitled to do that. There's a limit. There's a level. You shouldn't go beyond that. Uh, I wanted to tell you guys about this podcast that we both listen to, which is really cool. I really recommend you listening to it. The podcast is called The Cliff's Edge. And Cliff, the host, he is a biologist. And he has got an amazing show. They're only sort of like 20-minute episodes, 20-minute long episodes, but they are really fascinating. 
Uh, it's like David Attenborough on steroids. It's <laughs> the modern David Attenborough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, honestly, it's really cool. If you get the opportunity, take a listen to it. The Cliff's Edge, absolutely brilliant. Recommend you have a listen to that. If you're into science, if you're a bit nerdy and a bit geeky, and it's humorous as well, and you want to learn something about the natural world around you, definitely worth taking a listen to. The Cliff's yeah, Edge. Th- this is this is a perfect example of us in relation to him. We talk about weird stuff, and we act like a bunch of idiots, but he is humorous, but he does make it very interesting. Yeah, it's the way I wished all of my school teachers were when I was a kid. No, I've said that about so many things, like the Discovery Channel. Oh my God, I so wish when I was younger and in school that- They had TV. They had- (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> they had the sort of stuff available. I mean, it's amazing. Like, if I was a teacher, I'd say, you know, here, we're going to... Because a lot of these things, like, especially on Discovery Channel and stuff, History Channel, they can explain stuff Don't you think better. it would go? Don't you think it would go the other way as well, though? Can't, when you were learning about ancient Egypt and your history teacher said to you, and the Egyptians worked together and they, they got this stone and blah, 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 and you, and you st- put your hand up in class and go, no, actually, it was aliens. The greys <laughs> yeah. came down and they... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but, I mean, I remember being in school and we had film strips. Did you all have them? Where, where you'd have to have the screen, you know, the... the There's a guy playing the piano in the corner. The, uh, the movie, and there'd be this, like, film strip machine, I don't know, and it looked like a roll of tape, and you would, I mean, a roll of film, and you would attach it in, and and, and it would, like, tell you, that it'd be telling you something, and then, and then it would play a tone so that you would know to switch to the next slide, right? And I can remember being in school, and everybody wanting to be the film strip turner person. Like, it was a... I don't know what that is. I I I don't know what you're referring to. Uh, well, I'm sure that there are people in America who know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, then we actually did have like regular movies on a reel as well, but the film strip ones. You had movies on a reel. <laughs> yeah. Why? In, in little metal film. You're only tins. three years older than me. I don't get how it's so different. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe it's just different. Not because of my age. Thank you very much. Maybe it's just different because I'm not from here and you are, so... Yeah, but, okay, they used to wheel video recorders. We used to have this big, we used to have this big, like, trolley thing that the TV would be on top of, and then there would be a lockbox. Yeah, Because I know no that, one yeah. could be trusted. Everyone wanted that video recorder. Well, we had those, too. A lockbox with a video recorder inside. I mean, we had those, too, but ours didn't have a lockbox. I was actually sitting on the trolley, not... Kids, probably where you're from, were worried about if they stole the video recorder, they'd get shot. Whereas here, (laughs) you just got a stern telling off from the local Bobby. It's pretty cool, though. Like, I can remember... and, And dittos. Did you guys have dittos like you'd have to go make copies of things and you would put it in the machine and it would actually come out and it would still feel wet and it always had this really weird smell and and people would the teacher would go here pass these you know take one pass it down and people would literally go (laughs) try to sniff it when it you, you never no we had photocopiers no, I mean, well, these were like photo thingies, but I, I don't know. You have to look it up. They were called dittos. See, that's the thing is that in America, they may have been called that. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I'm going to look it up now while we're on here so that I can clarify this for our our Brit contingent. Well, it looks from what we've just from what I've just looked up. It looks like an old printing wheel. Well, no, I think it was more um, 
advanced than that one. I wasn't born in like the forties. <laughs> I mean, geez, no, but I mean, I can remember it. And 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 when you would get the copies, they would always the ink would always be like this almost like purpley color on the on the paper. It, it wasn't like black like typing listeners if you know what the hell she's talking about and what it's actually called get in touch with us mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk it may be that she's remembering this from a past life um fuck off dude (laughs) (laughs) or maybe some parallel universe i don't know i'm not Um, kidding but apparently there's this purple ink generating copy machine called a ditto no a ditto was what the thing was that you got handed. Well, not paper. Your piece of paper. It was they. We called them a ditto. Yeah. So if anyone can shed any light whatsoever on that, no, you ever heard of a Xerox machine or yeah. a, a photocopier? Yeah. See, that's what we had. Well, I'm happy for you. It's like it's like America was in the third world when when in the seventies. No. I went to school in high school. This stuff was still happening. Thank you very much. Were you in high school in the... Mid to late 80s. Yeah. Wow. I graduated in 1988. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't think it, would you? And her her graduation certificate was printed via a ditto. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go so we can discuss dittos and y'all can listen to Ruth... Roper Wild, who probably makes a hell of a lot more sense than us. Hi, everyone. It's beginning to feel to me like there's light at the end of the tunnel with this whole corona thing. And I don't know about you, but I've already started a list of all the places I'm going to go ghost hunting the minute we're allowed to travel again. I'm researching for book number six at the moment, and already there are several exciting new locations I want to go and take a look at. So please don't forget to drop me a line with your own experiences on wa-1400 at outlook.com. This month, the story that most caught my eye, mainly because several people sent me the links to it, is the story of the Battersea poltergeist covered by the Mail Online. Battersea is in South London, and in 1956, the family who lived there began to hear loud bangs and scratching noises around their house. Apparently, some of the bangs were so loud they could even be heard outside of the property in the street. The activity escalated into full-blown poltergeist-type phenomena, with objects being thrown around the house, but also with fires randomly starting and writing appearing on the walls. Now, those of you who have listened to other interviews or read articles or prologues by me will know that I lived with a poltergeist when I was a child, and it was that experience which sparked my lifelong interest in the supernatural. I'm glad, reading the Patterson account, that our poltergeist was less active than theirs. We had no fires and no writing on the walls, for sure. But we certainly had objects being moved and loud bangs and crashes, particularly in the middle of the night. I can't remember now when we first noticed anything odd, as it carried on activity over a number of years, and with the passage of time, I really only remember the standout occurrences. Perhaps the weirdest one was the day my sister and I were sitting in our shared bedroom, each on our respective beds reading or drawing, when our attention was caught by a sort of fluttering sound. We both looked up at once to see a ripped-out, glossy magazine page fluttering down from the ceiling in a curved trajectory towards the ground. It had some sort of food-related article or advert on one side, showing a big glossy picture of a plate of food on a table, and writing in columns on the other side. It floated in a sort of undulating movement down towards the floor and disappeared out of sight at the foot of my sister's bed. I goaded her, despite her reluctance, to crawl to the end of her bed and peer over to look at it. 
but when she eventually gave in and did so, there was no sign of it anywhere. On other occasions, it would move objects whilst you were actually looking at them, like the knife which left the table and span slowly to the ground, or the tea towel which neatly folded itself into a square in front of my mother and I. My sister and I were teenage girls at the time, and there was a teenage daughter in the house at Battersea too, although since the phenomena there was listed as lasting for 12 years, she can't have been a teenager for the whole duration. Even my poor maths abilities are good enough to work that one out. I mention the teenage thing, because there seems to be a direct correlation in poltergeist activity and the presence of teenagers in the property, and particularly teenage girls. It has often been commented on, and there is often a suggestion that the activity ramps up around the girls, and that eventually they start creating fake activity to keep the attention going on themselves. I always wonder about that, because in my personal experience, we never wanted any attention, never went to the papers or outside bodies, and suffered our poltergeist in relative silence. So there's never any question of any of us in the household faking anything for extra attention. We just wanted it to go away. This does then beg the question, how many more families are there out there who are like mine? We never hear about their poltergeists, because they never go to the media or the church or any paranormal investigation group with their story. Might that mean that poltergeist activity is actually much more prevalent than we generally suppose? So if you've got one at home, write to me. (laughs) In the Battersea case, the activity became the centre of media attention and is now the centre of BBC podcast production on the subject. A number of prominent figures back in the day became involved with researching and trying to remove the poltergeist and the occurrences have never been explained in any rational sense, such as fakery or whatever. The next thing I wanted to chat to you about was a haunting, if that's even the right word, which I wrote about in my book, The Roadmap of British Ghosts. Sometimes referred to as the Ruskington Horror, this ghost along the A15 near the village of Ruskington in Lincolnshire has been seen a great number of times over the years, according to numerous sources. It caused a stir on the This Morning TV show in 1998, when a caller rang in to describe his own encounter with the entity. And then two more viewers rang in with their own accounts, much the excitement of the show presenters. The original caller had accounted it that same year, 1998, and the other two in 1984 and 1997, respectively. The first caller had noticed something white at the side of the road as they were driving along. It was about one o'clock in the morning, and he was driving south towards Sleaford, so that the turning for Ruskington was on his right-hand side. As he approached the white object, it suddenly seemed to move up right against his car windscreen, and now it looked like an olive-skinned, pock-marked face of a man with his arm raised above his head. It was on the car for about 40 seconds or so, and then just sort of slithered or faded into obscurity out of view down the side of the car. The witness described it as looking sort of fluorescent, like a picture of a man with a flash too bright, and he was terribly shaken by his encounter, whatever it was he'd seen. I've had somebody suggest to me that maybe what he saw was a reflection of his own face in the windscreen because of the way that the dashboard lights would light it up, but I'm not sure that that really explains what he thought he saw. In 1984, a lorry driver said he saw a man in white standing at the side of the road at about nine o'clock in the evening with his hand up, but everything about the figure was so white that he was sure it wasn't a real person he'd seen. And in 1997 a lady who was a passenger in the car her husband was driving, said that she saw the dark figure of a man dash out into the road in front of their car. Although she called out her warning and her husband braked, the figure disappeared. And curiously, her husband hadn't seen anything, even though he had heeded her warning and hit the brakes. I found other accounts when I researched, which say that in November 2013, 
A driver saw a man in a dark, possibly leather jacket standing at the side of the road who inexplicably disappeared as soon as he was noticed. And another account from 1960 which said it was seen by a school coach driver. I asked for local witnesses and various people told me that they had heard different accounts of who exactly this man was. From a motorcyclist who tried to warn people of the dangerous bends on the otherwise straight piece of road to a priest from the nearby village which had been ravaged by the Black Death in centuries gone by. One gentleman told me that he was driving along there with a friend once when both he and the car in front of them stopped to let something go across the road. It was about one o'clock in the morning and as they stopped they momentarily saw that it was some sort of horse and carriage before it disappeared. The figures were faint as if not quite solid. And then another witness wrote in to me with his personal account of his experiences on the lanes around Ruskington, not the actual A15 itself. He told me, around October 1999, I passed my driving test and bought myself a little mini from Kirkby Lathorpe near Sleaford. It had no tax or MOT, so I took it home at night on the back roads to Ruskington, where I used to live. I went through Eveton, which is a desolate back road. My parents were following me in their car in case anything went wrong all the way home. To me, the journey was uneventful. But when we arrived home, my mum jumped out of their car and said to me, you won't believe this, but I saw you drive through a ghost near Eveton. She'd seen a guy walking on the side of the road and my car had passed through him, but I never actually saw him. He went on to tell me how a few days later, with his car now legal and checked out for soundness, he visited a friend and afterwards drove down the same road. He said, I was going round a bend and something jumped out in front of me. I automatically braked and swerved and ended up in the ditch. I got out of the car, but nothing was there. I walked to my friend's house and he managed to come back and pull me out of the ditch with his car and luckily my car was fixable. So after about a month or so, I was back on the road. Then, on Christmas Eve that same year, he allowed his friend to drive the Mini on their way home because he'd had a drink, and the friend came down the same fateful stretch of road. Our witness said to me, I had a terrible feeling I didn't want to go down there, but never said a word because he was driving, when suddenly my Mini engine cut out and we pulled over wondering what the hell had just happened. My friend tried starting the car up again, but nothing. It wasn't turning over or anything. So we sat there a minute wondering what to do, when my friend said, can you smell that burning? I couldn't smell anything, but he was dead serious and said, we need to get out now. Jumped out the car and ran up the road. I naturally panicked and started to fumble with my seatbelt. And as I did, the car started to fill with smoke and I managed to get out and scramble up the road after him. It was like a scene out of a film as my poor car went up in flames. The fire service later told him that the fire had been caused when a tin of chemical sealant left in the boot of his car had overturned and had hit the battery, causing sparking and eventually a fire. Now, not surprisingly, he was now more than a little wary of driving down this particular piece of road and tended to avoid it completely for the next few years. However, a lassie was chatting to one night persuaded him to take her out and show her where it all happened. So against his better judgment, they set off together in his car. He said, I went down the road again, but I was scared and not ashamed to admit it. As they reached the spot where the fire had been, his car radio, which had been turned off, suddenly switched itself on. There was the sound of white noise coming through it, 
which you get when no radio station is tuned in. He scared him so badly that he said, I'll be honest, I dropped it down a gear and raced off, never to return for nearly 20 years. He finally plucked up the courage in August 2018, when a friend of his decided to go ghost hunting and went back to that spot where they used an app on his phone, which gave a spirit box. He thought they heard a voice coming through the noise as they passed the fateful spot, but they weren't able to tell what it said. My husband and I drove down the road in 2018, but unfortunately we didn't see anything. It does seem feasible, however, that this particular stretch of road is very active as a haunting. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this month's segment. And remember, I'm researching book number six at the moment. So it's time for you to write to me at wa-1400 at outlook.com with your own experiences. Take care, everyone. Thank you, Ruth, once again for an amazing report there. I do love all those sorts of paranormal poltergeists and ghost activity. I do, but what I was going to say is that for those people that have been following some of the instances that have been going on here at our house, there was something that was quite weird happened the other day. We were both laying in bed watching TV. Um, I had my left arm out. Bella was lying on my left arm, sort of cuddling into me. Her arm was her left arm was on my chest. My right arm was on my chest, um, and I was laying on my back. And as I say, she was lying on her side towards me. We're both watching TV. My phone is next to me on the nightstand, and it lifted up off of the nightstand and then just dropped. I didn't see it because we were both watching the TV, but that's all that could have happened because it was laying flat when I left it there. And then the noise it made was like this. That's not the vibration sound of, you know, if I get a message or whatever, it made that sound. We both looked towards it, have no idea how that happened. Yeah, Yeah, it was really weird. Absolutely bizarre. And I think it's because we are talking more and more about these kinds of things that, I don't know, maybe things are starting to look back at us. Maybe things are listening, trying to get our attention. Who knows? There's somebody who does know a little bit more about what's going on above us in the heavens, and that gentleman's name is Richard Lenny, and here he is with his report this month. Hi, and welcome to the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful podcast. And I'm your host, Richard Lenny speaking to you from somewhere on planet Earth. And I want to start today on a catch-up from what I spoke about last time, which was the Crater Aristarchus. As I've said before, I am sure that this is some kind of a base that the uh, ETs use, or maybe it could be something that we've built and that we're using, or maybe we're using it with the ETs, but nevertheless, there is a base there. Um, If you Google Aristarchus and you check out the NASA photos, you will see that it's just a grey, dull, empty crater with nothing in it at all. But if you have a very powerful telescope and you point it at Aristarchus, you will see that this is not the case. And John Wilson, who's a very good friend of mine, and also he's a excellent researcher and astronomer he has a very powerful telescope and he's got a youtube channel where he obviously is putting up loads of videos on the moon and one of the craters he always tends to check out is aristicus and he sent me a brilliant video from about three or four days ago showing aristicus with a blue hue and what looks like some sort of lattice work going over it it's like a glass dome effect if you like 
Now, whether this is the trick of light or whether it's not, there is definitely something there. And it's not the photos that you would see, you know, if you're looking into the NASA archives. This looks like a completely different crater, but nevertheless, this is Aristarchus. And I believe this is what the crater actually looks like. But obviously NASA changes it because they don't want you to see the truth. So with that being said, um, I have the video and I'm going to leave the link down below on this podcast so you can all go over and have a look at it and see what you think for yourself. But um, to me, it looks like a vase. There's like a, a glass dome that goes over it. So I don't know whether it looks like that all the time or whether it only looks like it some of the time, whether it comes up through the crater. I think that's what happens. I think it's, it's a possibility that that crater that NASA shows you, which is just a, a flat gray crater with nothing in it, I think the base is underneath there. And sometimes that crater will move across and then the actual base will come up through. And um, why they do that, I don't know. Maybe they need to do that to, to power up the solar cells or something. Um, because I think there's, there's something going on down there, definitely. Because sometimes the crater does look like a normal, dark, dull, grey, flat crater. And then other times you've got this amazing blue hue with this like latticework of what looks like glass in a sort of like a domed effect. So like a roof. But anyway, you, you check it out and you see what you think. But if you if you look at the moon from Earth, um, you'll always see it. There's like, um, it's around about the nine o'clock position here on the UK soil. It's around about the nine o'clock position. If you look at the moon as a clock face and you'll see it, it's like, um, like a, a bright dot on the moon. <clears throat> and that is Aristarchus. So it sort of gives off this sort of like bluey hue light, but it's there all the time. And um, the moon obviously has been in thousands of movies and TV series. And, and if you see it at the right point, you can still see it there as well. They don't, um, they don't airbrush it out or anything. It's always there. So it's something to, to have a look at and to check out and, and then look at John Wilson's video, which I'll leave the link for. And then um, you decide for yourself. But yeah, it is amazing. There is definitely, definitely something going on with that crater. And just to add another point on top of that, um, I have seen craft coming out of that crater. And um, there's video of a craft coming out. And there's also videos of craft going towards that crater. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's definite there's something going on there 100%. Moving on now, I want to talk a bit about missing 411. I have spoken to about it many times before, but this is to do with people that go missing in national parks um, around the world, especially in America, um, where it seems to be big time. It seems to be a lot of people are going missing there and, you know, there's no explanation for it. Um, the bodies are hardly ever found. And when they are found, they're found mysteriously. I won't go into all the details. You can Google it and you can read all the stories for yourself. But I, if you haven't read anything to do with David Pilatus's, um missing 411, I suggest you go over and have a look because, you know, it, it's very interesting. You can be with your family members. You can be with your son, your grandmother, you know, your grandfather, your mother, your father. And one minute they're there and then you turn around and then the next minute they're gone. And there's no 
you know, there's no reason for that. There's no noise. There's, there's no nothing. There's no smell. They're there one minute and they're gone the next. Most of the time when people go missing um, and they can't explain it, um, they tend to um, leave the group. We call it separation. So, for example, if you're in um, a team of, say, 10 and you're at the back, and you decide to slow down a little bit because there's something you want to have a look at, you know, um, and then the others move on a little bit and you can see them and you know that you're going to be able to pick them back up again. It's not going to be a problem. And so you just stop for a minute. That's when they normally disappear and they're never seen again. You know, it's that basically that simple. You just slow down, you separate and everyone thinks you're still there. They go back to the camp and it's like, oh, where's John gone? And then there's a search, and he's never found. And that's it, game over. Now, up until recently, if you carried a weapon, apparently no one ever went missing if they had a weapon on them of some kind, um, a sidearm or a rifle. But that's changed now. Um, hunters uh, have gone missing, and they carry rifles you know, and sidearms. So even carrying a weapon now isn't going to save you. But I want to stress this one point, which is very important, because with COVID-19, even though most of the parks are still open, obviously a lot of people are staying at home in the moment because of this. Um, but when COVID is going to be lifted um, over here in the UK, I believe it's uh, middle of June. I don't know about America. I think it's going to be the same everywhere. But anyway, this summer, um, they're talking about lifting it completely so you can carry on and do what you normally do um, and what you used to do. And the year's gone by. So that means a lot more people are going to be going to these national parks. And that means basically that a lot more people are going to go missing. Because at the moment, people are still going missing in national parks, but obviously not to the same degree. But this summer, if you decide that you want to go to, say, for example, Yosemite, which, by the way, out of all the parks in America, is the one park where most people go missing. Um, so if you are thinking about going to Yosemite, this is very, very, very important. You need to take a sidearm, a weapon of some kind. And I'll explain why in a moment. But you also need to take some other things with you as well, which is also very important. You must take a locator beacon with you. Now, locator beacons, I think they start from around about 100, 150 pounds and go up. But at the moment... From what David is saying, and he has done extensive research on this, um, he's a retired policeman, so he does it methodically, you know, as if he was still in the police force. So he doesn't leave any stone unturned. And he is saying at the moment, as far as he is aware, no one has ever gone missing with a weapon and a locator beacon together. So if you carry both of those on your person, along with obviously water, you know, food, a map, and a good quality pair of um, hiking boots, then you should be okay. Um, that's what he's been saying, and so I would take that as being gospel. So if you are going to go to any of these national parks, anywhere in the world, not just in America, but anywhere, but especially in America, please, please, please do take a sidearm, even if you're not comfortable with taking one. Please take one, holster it, put it on your belt, you know, under your coat or whatever, under your jacket. 
or even if you just put it in your um your sack you have a sack you know that you're hiking with but please do take a weapon a sidearm and also please do take a locator beacon i know they're not cheap but this at the moment will save your life and i think that's slightly more important and obviously make sure you take a good quality map with you make sure you take a cell phone with you or a sat phone also remember before you leave to tell a family member where you're going that is so important. Please do this. Tell them where you're going. Um, you know, what route you're going to take when you're hiking. So at least if something does happen, they know roughly where you are. And with your locator beacon, they should be able to pinpoint you exactly. At least to your last reference anyway. So that is so important. Um, and even when you buy new boots, wear them in around town before you go hiking so that they feel like slippers on your feet you know all these things might sound trivial but they're so important and one last thing which i can't stress enough check the weather before you go make sure that the weather is going to be fine because with these missing people the one thing he's already um, discovered um, is that the weather changes quite rapidly after the person has gone missing so our fictitious person we called John a few minutes ago, he went missing, right? He was at the back of the group and he went missing. Well, what will happen then is the weather will change and all of a sudden it'll become very, very dark and cloudy and maybe there'll be a thunderstorm or, or you know, heavy rain. That's what normally happens after somebody goes missing. So it's so important that you check the weather before you leave to make sure that it's going to be fine all day when you do your hike. So um, I'll just go over some points um, of interest where people go missing. When people do go missing in national parks, it's normally by water. Uh, also, there'll be a lot of granite rocks around as well near the water. It's usually in the late afternoon. So we're talking about four o'clock onwards, although that's not always the case. But it usually is late afternoon, early evening. Um, there's also um, the separation thing as well, where you could be at the back of a group of people, then you decide to slow down, and then of course you go missing, and that's it. Game over on that one. Also, the weather change, which I've just spoken about, you know, that's very important. Make sure you check the weather before you go. Um, there's another one as well, which is quite odd. Most of these people that go missing are getting over some sort of an illness. Say, for example, you had a skiing accident and you had um, a broken arm and you're getting over the broken arm or you were in a car accident or something like that. A lot of these people seem to be getting over some sort of an illness. Again, interesting. And all these people that have gone missing have had no locator beacon on them and a weapon together. They've had a locator beacon or they've had a weapon, but they've never had both together, which is why I was saying a few minutes ago, please take both. So there we go. Um, if you want to know more about it, and I suggest you read um, David Pilatus's books, or if you don't want to read, then go on YouTube and watch his videos. There's hundreds on there. There's so many people going missing every day. I mean, people go missing every day anyway throughout the world. We all know that. It's a big place. And national parks, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of miles of parks. So, you know, somebody can slip, break a leg, or they can fall off a cliff. They can do all sorts of things. But the, the way these people go missing is just, no, 
there's there's more to it than that. There was one slight case which is quite worrying of a woman who said she was pushed um, off a cliff. Um, she obviously survived to tell the tale, but she said she felt physically being pushed. Um, I haven't actually gone into that story yet, so I don't know how high it was. It couldn't have been that high, otherwise she would have been killed. But she said to them that she actually felt somebody physically behind her pushing her and there was no one there. So, yeah, it is creepy stuff. But there's definitely something going on in these parks. Um, and I just wanted you all to know that if you were deciding to go um, this year to a park somewhere in the world, a national park, and you're able to take a weapon with you, then please take both a weapon and a locator beacon. Um, because no one so far has gone missing with both. And on that note, I'm going to leave it there. And um, until next time, this is Richard Lenny signing off for the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful. I just have a little disclaimer to add to Richard's report, and that is that he's only advising people to take a weapon if it is legal for them to do so and if they have the required license and training to operate the weapon safely. We so have to meet up with Richard because he really intrigued us way back when he was talking about the uh, binoculars and being able to look through and see stuff in the sky. Yeah, yeah, the night visions. He did invite us, and I'm sure that once all of this is over, we'll go and have a look. We'll... If you haven't listened to that episode, you really ought to have a look. Because yeah. it, it, or have a listen, I should say, because it was really intriguing. Yeah, we've done two episodes with Richard now uh, mm-hmm. on that sort of stuff. So, yeah, definitely take a listen and uh, and go back. And, of course, if you've got anything that you want to add, anything that you want to share with us or with Richard or with Ruth, you can, don't forget, go to our website and you can leave us a voicemail, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. There's the little blue microphone sign down on the bottom right-hand side of the screen if you're looking at it on your phone. Uh, if you're looking on your desktop, it'll be on there somewhere. And leave us a voicemail. So it, it's good for those people who just don't want to sit there and type something because maybe it takes a little longer. They can just go on there and... Yeah, and the good thing is, is that if you record it and you listen to it back and you don't like it, you can record it again. So it's not like the old-fashioned voicemail where you kind of do a recording and then you go, ah, oh, shit, I sound like a right Muppet then. When was that? What? Where you had to... Like where you couldn't re-record? When, when it was on tapes, you know, when the answer machines were actual tapes. Oh, yes, yeah, I don't remember that. Hey, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yours are reel-to-reel things, yours were. Big-ass reel-to-reel tapes. Now, it's funny, actually, you should talk. When I first did my first work experience when I was younger, I did it for BBC Radio, and we had the old reel-to-reel cassettes there that you used to record mm-hmm. on the radio, and we used to have to splice them together and everything. So mm. that was really cool stuff. But uh, I don't remember that either. Thankfully, everything has moved on now, and we're all digital, and we just spend six hours editing a show no no you spend six hours editing a show which is what i'm going to get on with now so thank you very much for listening guys really appreciate it make sure that you tune in again next time if you haven't listened to reminiscing with tom his last episode comes out next sunday so take a listen to tom thank you for all of you guys that have been following him along during his journey of reminiscence i know that he's got a lot from it and i know that a lot of people have got a lot from it as well so make sure you tune in to the last episode of reminiscing with tom that'll be on next sunday uk time that is when it's when it's released if you haven't had a chance to listen to his we have released them as bonus episodes go back and have a listen they're there for you to listen to and He's a lovely guy. Yeah, it's all feel-good stuff, isn't it? It is, very much so. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and remember to stay 
Weird, weird wacky, wacky, and, and wonderful. Freaking wonderful people. Wonderful like me. Weird like you. Mm-hmm. Wacky like you. Mm-hmm. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>